The passage is in Mark 15, right there. Uh, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, among ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son. All right. Um, if we've not met, and um, and even if we have met, my name is Larry Walker, and I don't know why I like that joke so much. Um, I'm the director of neighborhood outreach here at Liberty Church. Uh, if you're new, I'd love to meet you. And uh, any of our staff would love to meet you. Victor said this earlier. But I also want to say that if you are here and you need help, um, if you are coming in here struggling, a church is like a, it's like a hospital in a lot of ways. You see it, and you can run in there for help. And so if you're here and you have any needs, you can come tell me. Uh, talk to John. Talk to Victor. Anybody you've seen up here today. Um, we'll direct you to an elder or a deacon or anybody who can help you. And um, even if we can't fix it, will just be somebody who listens and isn't judgmental of your state. So come talk to us if you need any help. Um, that said, let's get started. Um, death. It seems that God really wants me to ponder death a lot over the last couple weeks. It's fitting. It's Lent. That's what you think about a lot during Lent. Um, John asked me to preach, I guess, about 10 days, two to two weeks, something like that. And... When I first read the passage, uh, I, I have a hard time like reading this passage, let alone talking about it without like tearing up and feeling like a tightness in my gut. Um, so there was that kind of running the wheels in the background. And then um, I learned about 10 days ago of someone that I cared about dying, um, found out the details a little later, which began to really, really weigh on me. Um, and so I was like, I'm just going to... I'm just going to sort of like check out for a little bit and maybe listen to like a podcast, something light. So I was like, what's something like light and liberal and just f happy? I'm like, I'll listen to This American Life, um, which I haven't listened to in a while. And the episode this last week was called 
death and taxes. Uh, so I listened to it, and I just got sadder. Um, so it was a good podcast. I recommend it. Um, so there was someone that I, I cared about, uh, someone I knew and, and know, one of our old neighbors. He was a really sweet guy, a very kind person, struggled with drug addiction for the last five years, um, precipitated by the death of his nine-year-old son from leukemia um, and the death of his brother from drug overdose. Uh, I had tried to help him multiple times, and uh, so had some of you in this church, Phil Stoltfus, has like this quiet ministry, just giving people second and third and fourth chances, hiring them, and he hired him. Um, he passed away anyway. Uh, so I went to the funeral Monday. He went, it was a very, very Irish Catholic funeral uh, for a very, very Irish man. Um, he was my age, 38 years old. Uh, and as I was kneeling by the casket, just saying my goodbyes, praying for his soul, uh, I was just sort of struck by like the atmosphere nowadays around death, like the smells were, uh, it was like chemicals overcome by flowers. It's very sterile, a lot of like makeup on the body. Nobody's like crying loudly. It's very quiet in this place, you know? I'm just thinking how hard we try to distance ourselves from the reality and the awfulness of death, you know? We clean it up a lot. And that's, honestly, that's kind of my temptation with a sermon like this today, is how do we, how do I, like, make this horrible thing um, a little more palatable and easier to digest and, and not have to, like, deal with it? Um, but what's the truth? Um, the truth is that what's happening here on the cross is, is grievous. It's heinous. It's monstrous. It's every word like that that you can think of. So instead of avoiding some of the horror, um, let's just sit in it for a few minutes and think about it and, um, and ponder it. Because when we avoid like the awfulness of death, uh, John mentioned this a minute ago, we, we're also like missing some of the glory of the work of Christ and some of the absolute miracle of the resurrection. And so uh, I still have three points because it's just unavoidable. Um, so if I were breaking this into three points, and I am, uh, point one would be, let's just take a minute and look at Jesus crying out on the cross. Point two is thinking about the, the meaning of the veil tearing, uh, being torn. And then point three is, I just want to talk about the centurion for a minute and how Jesus changes lives. So point one, um, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, to try to understand what's happening here, we have to consider who is on the cross. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Why is he up there? Why does it matter? If you could just put aside all the cultural conflict, the politics about whatever, about authorities and institutions and gender and race and all these things that swirl around about religion, uh, if you could somehow see through all that and just look at the life of Jesus... Um, I, would, I would encourage you to do that if you can, and just, just for a moment. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, tells us that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. He is the eternal, immortal, holy, righteous judge, the Word that created all things, and he's made flesh. He's fully God and he's fully man. He was promised from the beginning as a redeemer for his people. He's the lawgiver now living under the law. He was born of a virgin Mary, 
he lived a beautiful and pure, sinless life on our behalf. Um, there's a wonderful book called Love Walked Among Us that was really helpful for me to think about the way that Jesus lives. Um, it's very unique in a beautiful way. I recommend it to you. He lived a life of sacrifice and suffering uh, for others and for the glory of God. And he is up on that cross because the world is broken, because you and I are broken, and because all of humanity and creation itself has fallen into a state of sin and brokenness. And I think we see that around us, right? Um, doesn't your soul sort of cry out at times at just the atrocities and the, like the horrible things that you see just driving around the city, um, let alone the world? And we feel like this coldness in our heart. Every time I drive by someone who's holding up a sign just asking for help and I do nothing, I feel it. Like I should stop, right? I feel like Jesus would stop, you know? Um, and generally I don't. I keep going. I have my kids in the car. There's a reason. You know, I can't help everybody. I can help that person, though. Um, but you feel this darkness around you and in your own heart. And the world's very lonely at times. Um, but it's also not just that. It's also really beautiful. You know, it's uh, breathtaking at times. And there's nothing more beautiful than humanity. Nothing. And Jesus is up on that cross having fulfilled the law to secure salvation and a resurrection and hope for this world. Um, know this, every good thing ever goes back to this moment. Every good thing ever goes back to this moment. Understand that. There's no hope in this world. There's no grace. There's no peace or forgiveness. There's no reconciliation ever without this moment. There's no beautiful sunrise. There's no fulfilling relationships. There's no good cup of coffee without the cross of Christ. Without this, all of humanity, we just sit under God's just judgment you understand? Without this. And in his greatest moment of suffering and loss and God forsakenness, Jesus cries out and he quotes Psalm 22. And this, it's a psalm, it's a beautiful psalm about this feeling that God doesn't hear you, that he's absent, that he's forsaken you. Jesus is calling out to his father as he always has. Um, and for the first time, he's receiving nothing back, just silence. Um, more than that, the sky is darkened for three hours. And I was reading, and you, the thing about this passage is you can, there's like so much theology you can draw from it, you know? But in Scripture, when you see God's presence in light, it's salvation and hope, right? But when you see God's presence in darkness, it's judgment. And God's presence is here, but in darkness. Um, and that's what Christ cries out to, and he receives nothing back, no help. So the point of the veil being torn it's, it's torn from top to bottom, okay? I didn't know this until like a week and a half ago. The veil is 20 feet tall. I don't, maybe you knew this. Uh, and seven inches thick. Like when I hear the word veil, I always just picture like a bride, you know, like this thin thing that's sort of more ceremonial. You know what I mean? Um, but this thing is like, it's like a gigantic curtain, you know? And I don't know how much it weighs. Someone knows how much it weighed. Um, so what does it exist for? It exists because there's this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. Um, it's the place in the temple where it was said that God's very presence resided, um, as did the Ark of the Covenant and the law. And once a year, the high priest would go in with a rope tied around his waist, um, and he would present a sacrifice for the people. And uh, they tied a rope around his waist so that he, just in case he, like, died by holiness, by being too near to 
for holiness. And you would make this atonement. It's so thick, though, that it keeps the whole room dark. And there's a lampstand that's, like, narrowed in on just the, the ark and the word of God. Um, so it's pitch, pitch black except for the word. Uh, and the, in the act of the veil being torn, something profound is happening. God himself is breaking down the dividing wall that separates us from him and him from us. What is happening upon that cross is altering and healing and remaking our relationship with the God of the universe. And also it's expanding who God's people are. Uh, no longer will a Jewish high priest be the mediator between God and man in this way. No longer will the presence of God be kept in a Jewish temple. Now the presence of God goes into all the world, into all kinds of people. What's interesting is it immediately goes into the centurion, like immediately. Um, the veil is torn from top down, not bottom up. Um, this is an act of God. Could you imagine somebody trying to tear that thing? Not an act of man. And even though in the moment of this day's events, this looks like the most horrible human crime ever committed, and it is, uh, at the same time behind all this is the hand of God. Um, and it's, it's an act of God to tear this thing. Your salvation, your peace, um, any hope that you experience at all in this world is an act of God, not of man. So what's unique about the Christian religion? Everybody loves the world religion. Um, the Christian religion isn't a list of, of things that you have to do to receive God's favor, right? Um, that list would be infinite because the, the, like, the sin, the grieved party is infinite himself. Um, God must make a way for you and I or we'll never be saved. And if you're on like the hamster wheel of religion, I recommend that you jump off. Um, it won't work. It'll be very dissatisfying. Um, and I don't know, we could talk. Try to look through the fog of this life and see Christ if you can today. Um, if you have hope in God through Christ and the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are the temple of God now. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. And where you go is holy ground, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. You are the temple going, you know. Think about that when we drive by like the homeless people around us. Um, take time to ponder that today. So I'm going to spend more time on this last, this last point. I just want to think about the centurion for a minute who was converted and whose life was changed forever because of his experience. Um, this is what I've been thinking about all week. The, the text is really interesting. There's a lot there, but I just keep finding my mind drawn back to this man. <clears throat> so this is where I want to land. There was a man of violence at the foot of the cross that day. He'd just partaken uh, in murdering Jesus, you know, and an unjust execution. Um, you know, in some Gospels, he's the, he's the centurion who, like, stabs Jesus in the side, and the blood and the water flow out separately. And while watching all this, taking it all in, he says, surely this was the Son of God. And in church history, this man became a disciple. Uh, the apostles, he went out. I think, I should have written it down. I think his name was Longinus. Um, and he went peacefully to his own martyrdom. Not that much longer after this. But being at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus up close, and experiencing the grace of God changed him forever. He was turned from like this man of violence to a man of peace. Um, have you ever seen anybody's life change like that? Do you believe that God can change lives and change you like that? So part of my job is I 
so I, I raise support for this position of the church. So uh, a, a good chunk of my salary here comes from Southerners, right? So I travel through like uh, Tennessee and Alabama and South Carolina, and I speak at churches. And it's significantly easier than speaking here. Um, uh, although I love seeing your faces. Um, but there, there's like an ease in being like the visiting missionary, you know what I mean? Um, they, don't, they don't know me, I can say whatever I want and I can just leave and I don't have to see them again. So when I'm going, I, I often will ask the pastor like, what do you want me to like say that, you're, that you can't say, you know? Um, so one of those times I was in a church in Tennessee and a lady asked me, have you ever seen any miracles? And I was like, yeah. I like, I mean, it was like, absolutely. You know? And they were like, really? And everybody sort of like leaned in. It's like, what have you seen? You know? And as the conversation kept going, I realized they're like, they mean, have you ever seen anything like float? Have you ever seen like an animal talk? You know? Have you ever seen anybody raised from the dead? And I was like, well, sort of to the last one, not to the animals or to the things floating. That would be trippy. Um, but I, I feel like I, I believe I have seen resurrections. Um, and what I mean by that is anytime that something goes like the opposite of the way of the world, it's a miracle. It really is a miracle. Um, if someone gets softer and kinder as they get older instead of harder, it's a miracle. Um, if someone's freed from addiction, it's a miracle. I have, one of the things I've learned in this job is like you can't save people. It's it's really frustrating. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day. There's this part where Bill Murray is trying to save this homeless man just over and over and over. And uh, it's like the most sincere part of the movie in a Bill Murray movie. Um, but that's how it feels to try to save someone. And, uh, and it doesn't work. So if someone does overcome their addiction, it's a miracle. Um, if reconciliation happens ever, you know, I, I originally wrote, if reconciliation happens between enemies. But actually, if reconciliation happens ever, between anyone, ever, between family, between friends, between enemies, it's a miracle. Um, if anyone ever turns to God and receives forgiveness, it's a miracle. If you can take that in to your soul. And they all stem from this day. And so, I know a man like this centurion. Uh, as soon as I read it, I was like, I know a guy like that. Um, in some ways, I empathize with a centurion, you know. Um, I'm not going to go into it today. I talk about myself a ton up here. Um, but don't forget, like, I went to church camp when I was 17 to pick a fight with a guy, okay, and accidentally became a Christian, you know. Uh, that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. If you want to know, let's get coffee. Um, so who knows why you came to church today? I don't know, maybe you came to punch me in the face. So be it. Uh, you could hit me after the sermon, that's okay. Um, I might hit you back. Um, so this, this guy is named AJ. That's not his real name. Uh, and I'm not allowed to say his real name, not because it's like anonymity or anything, because he doesn't like his real name. Um, so he goes by AJ. And uh, his name is AJ Sanford. He lives in Tennessee. And I, you know, I called him this week because you never want to tell somebody's story without their permission, you know. And so I called him and I was like, hey, man, you remember how we met? We met about nine years ago. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember how we met. And uh, he's like, we had words. And I was like, we had words. 
And I was like, I remember you yelling at me. And he was like, I remember you yelling at me. And I was like, hmm. He was like, yeah, we had words, you know? And I was like, okay. Uh, so let me just like set the story for AJ. So AJ is a, like a big guy. He makes me feel small. He's a little shorter than me, but he's like the definition, the definition of like a barrel chested man. He's, he's like huge, you know? Uh, he's an African American guy. He keeps his hair very long and up, but like straight back, like straight back, like it surrounds his head like a lion's mane. Um, AJ, when he was much younger, I met him when he was like 45. And uh, when he was, I think he was like 20, 21, he was at a high school basketball game. AJ, sorry, AJ grew up without a dad. He grew up in, in a gang in uh, Tennessee. And uh, there's an interesting, like, Tennessee's near enough to Atlanta that you actually get a fair amount of gang activity. And so AJ grew up in the East Side Housing Projects, the Harriet Tubman Projects, which was across the street from where I worked, um, like directly across the street. And so uh, when he was 20, 21 years old, he was in a fight at a basketball game. Someone instigated it, and uh, AJ, uh, he, he won the fight too good. He, he killed the guy. And uh, he, you know, so he went to prison for 12 years. And uh, it wasn't premeditated. It was, um, you know, he was defending himself in a way, but uh, he's the, a really big dude. And so he killed this man, and he went to jail for 12 years. So that's the backdrop. So part of my job was um, when someone would come into Hope for the Inner City looking for, like, another, like, a chance at life, uh, we would get a lot of ex-offenders who would come in. And some, some of the days of the week, it was my job to meet with them. And so this day was my day. And so AJ came in. And uh, we're sitting across from one another, like, like, from here to the edge of the stage, like three, four feet. And um, I'm you know, like, what's up? Why, why are you coming? And what just starts to pour out of this man is uh, you know, self-accusation. Like he spent 12 years in jail you know, um, like accusing himself. He's defined by what he did, you know. Um, there's a lot of hopelessness, you know, whenever you get out of prison, um, but especially if you killed somebody. Um, you, you like, you're like branded with an F on your chest the rest of your life as a felon, uh, and there's some things you just can't get expunged. And uh, so he had gone from place to place to place trying to get a job, and uh, he's a really capable guy, but it kind of doesn't matter, you know? And so he can't get a job, and he has uh, a lot of children, so he can't provide for his family, so he's ashamed of that. Um, he is just so guilty and ashamed for killing someone, uh, which is fair, you know? Uh, he will never forget, like, what he took from that other family. You know, he took somebody's son and brother, you know, and, um, yeah. And he won't ever shake that. He really permanently wounded another family. He really kind of can't get any lower as a man. And that's where God met him. And so we're sitting across. This is the where we had words part. So we're sitting like across from one another. And uh, he, what's pouring out of him is just like, I can't even repeat it to you. It's just like, I'm this, I'm you know, that. And it's a lot of like, this is who I am statements. And so we had a rule at Hope when, we'd come on, when someone would come looking for help. Uh, you have to like reset their understanding of themselves. Like you just have to sort of like wipe it clean. And we would have two things we would talk about with, with everyone who came in. We would talk about the Imago Dei, meaning the image of God, 
right? So, like, yes, you did this, but what are you, right? You did these things, but what are you, right? You are an image bearer, right? And we would hammer it home. Um, and then what did Christ do for you? You know, which is actually, like, it can turn into something that feels like an exorcism, and that's what happened that day. So he's, you know, I'm, like, sitting here for, like, 15, 20 minutes with this guy just, like, slandering himself over and over and over. And apparently, I forgot this part until this past week, I started yelling back at him and just started yelling, like, the truth at him, you know? And we just were, like, yelling at one another. And then he, like, froze up, and I don't know why, but, like, I just scooted the chairs forward, and t- my chair forward until our knees were sort of locked, and I just, like, grabbed him. And I pulled him close, and he, like, grabbed my... <laughs> hoodie at the time and like just put his head on my shoulder and just like scream cried for a while and if you know me um, I practiced this four times this part so that I wouldn't cry and I cried the first two so we're both like bawling our eyes out at this point and um, what went through my head is like this guy has like a lifetime of tears that he's got to get out you know and um, and me too and so we cried together but there's something John said um, a couple of years ago in a sermon. He said he defined Christians as simply people, as beggars who had found the bread. And it's stuck in my head forever because it finally kind of put words to that moment. Like, as soon as he said it, that's the moment I thought of. Like, that's what we were. We were just beggars who found the bread. Um, so, AJ, like, I remember when we leaned back and we were like, whew, and we were like, we're never telling anyone about that ever. <laughs> Deal? <laughs> so we've grown. Look, here I'm telling people. Um, AJ got a job that day, um, and he still works at Hope, actually. Uh, he runs our housing ministry. It was a r- rickety first five years. Uh, he runs the housing ministry. He oversees all the work projects for our um, mission teams that were, would come in. And, but more importantly than that, more importantly, like this guy got rehabilitated. Um, he... He's one of the most joyful people I've ever met now. Like, he's the guy on staff who never forgets someone's birthday. And not just that, but, like, he goes overboard. Like, he gets him a cake and flowers and balloons and, like, gets everybody together to sing happy birthday for this person. And this guy killed a guy, okay? Like, he changed so much. And I got to watch it. And so all I'm saying is uh, God does miracles he changes people. He can change you. He's changing me. And um, I'll bring it back. When Jesus was on that cross and he cried out to God, he received no answer, nothing, just silent, dark judgment, which is what we deserve. Um, but because of that, when we cry out to God, even in like the worst parts of our life, we know that he hears us. And even if it isn't fixed in the moment, even if the suffering continues, there's a way, like AJ's life didn't get fixed. It took him five years to move out of the projects. Um, like he was isolated from his children. It's taken a lot of healing. Um, even if in that moment it's like everything's not just fixed in it, you can still see God and you can meet God in your suffering because of what Christ did. So if you want to change, if you would like to be freed from slavery to sin and from addiction, um, from isolation from one another, from isolation from God. If you already know Jesus and you need to like, you know, come again to Jesus. Um, 
I recommend that today, this week, this morning, uh, just be a beggar who found the bread. Just come before God and cry out to Him. Look at the beauty of what Christ did on this cross. Receive forgiveness and redemption as we look forward to the resurrection. And just remember this. Remember that Jesus always accepts you back. Always. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.